You are listening to The Dr. Kinney Show, and I'm your host, Erin Kinney, a naturopathic doctor and speaker who's passionate about teaching you how to understand what is happening in your body, why your body is reacting the way it is, and how to make the appropriate changes in your life to get your body back into balance. Something I've learned from my private practice is that the more patients know about their health, the more likely they are to make better diet and lifestyle choices, which ultimately leads them to a faster recovery. Each week, you are going to learn actionable tips, tricks, and teachings from myself, along with the help of top experts in the holistic health community, so that you can make better informed decisions about your body and your healthcare. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Dr. Kinney Show. We have video now, it's so exciting. So you guys have asked for an episode and more information on the Epstein-Barr virus. So I'm going to do an episode all about Epstein-Barr virus. We're going to get nitty gritty, talk about the different testing, what it is, what it looks like, what symptoms it can cause, some treatment options. We'll kind of go from there. So I'm excited. This is something I talk about a lot in my day-to-day work with patients. It's something I test for a lot. And I'm going to start by sharing kind of why I started testing for it, just so you can understand like why it's important. So mostly I treat women and men who have hormonal imbalances or adrenal fatigue or thyroid issues. And, you know, in naturopathic medicine, we're always trying to figure out what is the root cause. So someone comes in and they have some sort of, you know, under, they've got some sort of imbalance or something's not feeling right in their body. And my job is to try to figure out, or any practitioner you work with, to try to figure out what's at the root of that. And so when I started getting patients that weren't responding to typical, you know, I put them on adrenal support or I do something that should have balanced their hormones and it wasn't really working. I was like, okay, why isn't this working? This is a little bit weird. And, you know, sometimes people were coming in with symptoms that look like this. They were tired. They maybe had joint pain. They had headaches. They were having trouble sleeping. And some of these symptoms maybe got worse right before their period or during ovulation. So I'm thinking, oh, maybe this is hormonal. Maybe this is low progesterone, low cortisol, you know, running all these tests and you know, and I had a few patients early on that, you know, had brought up to me, hey, like, I, I'm just worried, like, I had mono as a kid, and my lymph nodes are swollen, and is there any way that that could have come back? And so this was maybe like 10 years ago. And so I started being like, well, you know, that's something we could look into. Let's see if, you know, Epstein-Barr is something that can reactivate, and I'll explain that in a minute. And and I started seeing a lot of my patients with hormonal imbalances have this Epstein-Barr virus in an active state. And it was like, okay, well, if that's in an active state, then the body's probably trying really hard to deal with that which means it's not going to have the energy to fix the hormones or to deal with the thyroid or to do anything else. Or weight loss is a big one too. And I've touched on this in some other episodes of this of this show. You know, if the body's really busy trying to get rid of something that shouldn't be living there, it's not going to have cellular energy to do a lot of other things, right? So that house analogy that I talk about sometimes, you know, if your body's a house and you want to lose weight, that would be equal to trying to get rid of a basement closet, or you want to make your skin pretty, that would be like painting your house. Or you can use this analogy in a lot of different ways, but if someone's trying to break into your house all of the time, which is what it's like when there's an infection living in your body that shouldn't be there, you're not going to clean out your basement closet. You're not going to clean your kitchen. You're probably not going to paint your house. You're not going to redo the shutters. You're not going to do any of these like extra things that we want when we're trying to get our body to feel and look the way we want it to feel. Because the number one thing is make sure that, you know, the house doesn't get invaded. Make sure that, you know, the body wants its internal organs to be functioning properly. So this is why it's really important to make sure that, you know, if you've got something chronic that hasn't really been responding to typical treatments, to make sure you're being checked for underlying things. 
So back to the Epstein-Barr virus, I just wanted to give you some background on why I started checking for this and why it's something that, you know, comes up a lot. And it's it's something I see a lot in my patient population. So the Epstein-Barr virus is a virus. It's a member of the herpes family of viruses. Does not mean it's sexually transmitted. We hear herpes and we all think, oh, STD. It is cousins to herpes 1 and herpes 2, which are called the herpes simplex viruses. There's a bunch of different viruses in this family. They are all, and so chickenpox is one of them, which we call herpes zoster. They're all viral types that once they get into the body, they never completely go away. They will come into the body. They will kind of do their active thing. The immune system will deal with it. We'll get it out of the active phase. And then the body puts it into what we call a latent phase. So, and if, if you are someone who suffers from cold sores or genital herpes, you'll know that, you know, sometimes it's not active and then sometimes it can reactivate and you can get a sore. This is similar to chickenpox. A lot of people get chickenpox as a ch- child, not so much anymore, but they used to. And then later in life, if you've had that virus in your body, it can reactivate and cause shingles. Now with herpes one and two and shingles, it's very clear when that virus is in an active state because we have the rash or we have an outbreak or we have, you know, you have, you have a sore or something on the skin that's like, oh, yep, that's what that is. The tricky thing about Epstein-Barr virus is there's not usually one very hallmark characteristic thing that happens when it reactivates. If you do get mono, that has a very textbook, but that usually only happens the first time your body's exposed to that. So, and most people will contract Epstein-Barr virus in their late teens, maybe early 20s. That's when it's most commonly passed around. You know, mono is commonly called as the kissing disease because it's passed via saliva. So, you know, if you get this in your late 20s, or excuse me, late teens, early 20s, and you do get mono, the symptoms of mono could be very swollen lymph nodes. It can be an enlargement of the spleen, extreme, extreme fatigue, like bone tired. I had mono my junior year of high school, and I think I missed about a month of school. I was so exhausted. I slept and slept and slept and slept. I remember the first week I had it, I was on vacation with my family in Maine. I had a sore throat. I had swollen lymph nodes. And I just, I could not get out of bed. My family was like, come to this. And I was like, I, I just can't, I can't move. So it's that type of like exhaustion. Now that exhaustion is something that can show up when the virus reactivates. And I'll get into that in a minute. But so we were talking about, you know, the virus type. So it's something that once you get it, it never completely goes away, right? So again, most people get this in their late teens, early 20s, their body deals with it. So I'll use myself as an example. I got mono. It took my body a while to get over it, but I got over it. Then you go about living your happy life. You're you're fine. Now, just like shingles or HSV-1 or HSV-2, which if your immune system takes a dip, so let's use the example of, you know, cold sores. Maybe you don't get a cold sore outbreak, except if you go and party all night and then spend all day in the sun. If you do things that take your immune system down a notch, that allows that viral load to climb up a little bit. Basically, it's like the virus can now come out and play and start to cause problems. So this can happen with the herpes zoster virus. If you go through a really, really stressful time, or, and we've seen a lot, this a lot in the last couple of years, people get COVID and then they get shingles or, you know, you lose a job or you get divorced. or there's some major life stressor, which will typically cause the immune system to take a dip that can cause the Epstein-Barr virus to come out and play and start to cause problems. And so I'm going to talk about the nitty gritty of the different testing things. But what I often see when people come into my office and they're like, yeah, I'm just, I'm super exhausted. I'm having, you know, joint pain is a really common one. I'm not sleeping very well. 
and maybe their hormones are a little bit out of whack. They might be presenting with some thyroid symptoms because the Epstein-Barr virus loves to kind of irritate the thyroid. It likes the thyroid tissue. It tends to kind of hang out there. And I'll talk about that a little bit more. But if you're kind of like really not feeling good and you get your general labs run and your doctor's like, oh, you're fine. Your mummy just tired. And and sometimes you get cold-like symptoms, but sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just are exhausted. This is when it's really helpful to be like, okay, let's just run a test and see if your Epstein-Barr is in a current flare, if it's in a current reactivated state. And so there is a way we can test for this. So let me just be clear. Most adults, I would say probably about 90% of the adult population has had Epstein-Barr. And this sometimes is an argument you know, from that. They're like, oh, that's not a big deal. Everybody's had that. Well, yes, that's true. Everybody's had it, but it can reactivate. And you have to make sure you're running the right tests to see if it's in an active state or not. So there are four antibodies that need to be checked if you're going to have a test for Epstein-Barr virus. And I'm going to go through them. It's a little bit I like to joke. This is like alphabet soup because the names are a little bit confusing, but there's a panel that contains three. It's called the Epstein-Barr virus panel. And the first three are ones called I, the IgM viral capsid antigen antibody. So that is your body's first antibody production against the outside of the virus. So there's two kind of types of antibodies when we're looking at Epstein-Barr. There's there's an antibody that attacks the outer part of it. So the viral capsid antigen, the body's going after the outer capsule. And then there's an antibody against the nucleus. And then there, we're going to talk about two different types of antibody types that the body makes. The body, when it's first presented with something, anything, whether it's a bacteria, a virus, or something it's allergic to, it will make what we call IgM antibodies. And these are like the rude or the, you know, the rudimentary reaction, like, oh, that's something that shouldn't be there. We're going to create this really quickly made antibody. And then once the body's kind of started fighting it with that antibody, with the IgM antibody, then the immune system takes a little bit more time to develop a more sophisticated antibody that's a little bit better at fighting called an IgG antibody. So we're able to determine whether something's a new acute case and the first time the body's seen it versus something that's been around for a while based on differentiating between IgM and IgG antibodies. So the first, again, the first lab in this panel is called the IgM antibody against the outside of the virus. The second antibody in the panel is called the IgG viral capsid antigen antibody. So that's the more sophisticated antibody against the outside of the Epstein-Barr virus. The next one in this panel is called the IgG nuclear antigen antibody. So this is the body attacking the nucleus of the virus. So when you have that one positive, it means that the body has kind of bust through the capsule and is actually attacking the nucleus. And when we attack the nucleus of something, we're much better, much more likely to keep the production of that virus down because if the nucleus is being attacked, it means the virus can't replicate. So if you have that IgM antibody positive, that typically like 99% of the time means this is the first time your body has seen this virus. So if that comes back positive, and maybe that's the only thing that comes back positive, that means that you just recently contracted Epstein-Barr virus. You are still contagious. You could pass it on to someone else. But again, that usually means it's the first time your body's seen that. If you have that one and the IgG viral capsid antigen antibody, that means that your body has had it long enough that it's developed the slightly more sophisticated antibody against that. And then if you've developed the nuclear antigen antibody, that means that your body has been attacking this for a long time where it actually has bust through the capsule and is attacking the nucleus. So oftentimes that's what we'll see is someone who has an acute new case of Epstein-Barr virus, they will have first the IgM one, then the viral capsid IgG, and then the nuclear antigen IgG. That's kind of the way that it progresses. So that's for the first time. Now, once your body has 
fought this for a while and the virus has gone into the latent stage, eventually the IgM antibody will disappear. That will go away from the labs. You will no longer have that, which means that anyone who's ever had Epstein-Barr virus will always have, well, not always, I shouldn't say always, but most likely will have the, the IgG antibodies that I discussed, the nuclear antigen IgG and the viral capsid IgG. So if you have those tested positive, all that means is you've had a past infection of Epstein-Barr. Now there is another test and you need to make sure if you're getting tested for this, that your doctor adds this because it's a separate test. It's not on the typical IABV panel. It's called the early antigen antibody. And this is the antibody that the body will make when Epstein-Barr virus reactivates. So let's say that you had, you know, like myself, you had mono, you know, maybe when you were a teenager or in college, and then suddenly you're in your thirties, there's a pandemic, all this stress, maybe you got COVID. All of these things have stressed your immune system out. Your immune system has come down. You're feeling really crappy and you go in and you get tested. If your early antigen is elevated, what that means is that your Epstein-Barr virus has come out of its latent phase and it's now in an active phase. It's now enough of a problem. It's now knocking on your the door of your house that the body's like, ooh, I got to spend some attention. So if you have that early antigen antibody elevated, that means that your body is currently spending a lot of energy attacking the Epstein-Barr virus. So that's how I determine when I'm running labs. If you've got the early antigen positive, it typically means you're in a reactivated state of Epstein-Barr. And that's something that, in my mind, requires treatment. And the treatment can look a lot of different ways, but that's something that we have to address. And it's something that we have to address before we can get the body to do some of the other things that we want it to do. Now, there are some cases, and I'll just chat about this because I know some of you listening have probably been through this with me. Sometimes you don't have that early antigen antibody elevated. However, you have all the symptoms, you feel like crap, and maybe we have we already know, okay, you've had this reactivate before, or you know you had mono and you know, you know it's there, and you're like, I really feel like it's active. Sometimes we miss the early antigen elevation when we run the labs. Either it just recently went down, or in some immune systems that doesn't elevate. So if your IgG early, or excuse me, IgG new capsule viral capsid antigen antibody and the IgG nuclear antigen antibody are elevated and really elevated, like over 600 elevated, that typically to me is also an indicator that the body is fighting really hard against that virus. Maybe it had just recently come out of an active state, but that usually is an indicator that that's something we need to go in and address. We need to do something to be boosting the immune system because it's really all about keeping your immune system up here to keep that virus in its latent phase. If the immune system comes down even just a little bit, it allows that virus the ability to come up and start to cause problems. So that's kind of what we're what we're looking at. There are some other markers that I like to test. There's a lab called CD57, which is a specific type of white blood cell. They're like your sniper cells. So different than antibodies. So antibodies are one way that the immune system likes to attack things. You also have these, you know, they're your T cells, which they go and shoot things directly on impact. Again, I like to call them your sniper cells. They go in there, they, they, you know, they shoot the Epstein-Barr virus, which sometimes that can be more effective. You want your immune system to have a healthy balance of T cells and of antibody production. Antibody production, you know, when the body uses antibodies to kill something, it tends to be a little bit of a more labor-intensive and energy-producing process. You've got the virus, the body has to make the antibody to it, the antibody binds, but that antibody itself doesn't actually kill the virus. That antibody will then send a signal for another molecule to come, it's called a macrophage, and then that comes and eats the whole complex. So it uses a little bit more metabolic antibody, or excuse me, metabolic energy for the body to do that process. Whereas the sniper cells are kind of like, oh, there's a problem, we're going to shoot and kill directly on impact. But if if your CD57 levels are low, 
which this can, they're not specific, but if you have low CD57 numbers and you've also got elevated Epstein-Barr antibodies, that usually to me indicates that your body's been battling that for a while. Also note, if your CD57 levels are low, probably a good idea to also get checked for Lyme and for mold exposure. I'm not going to go into that on this episode today, but I can chat about it later. Low CD57 numbers is a pretty good indicator that your immune system is not doing so well particularly as it pertains to stealth pathogens. And today we're chatting about Epstein-Barr virus. So if those are low, that's also another indicator that we probably need to do something to boost that immune system up. So that's kind of what it looks like testing-wise. So again, if if you're thinking that maybe, or you know you had mono and you're like, "Mm, I want to see if this is kind of a problem, make sure you ask your doctor to check all four of those antibodies because you could check just the three and then you're kind of missing a little bit of information and then if, if you think you have active mono, there is a separate test for that. There's an actual mononucleosis test. So if if you're somebody who's listening and you're younger, or if you have a child that you want to get checked for that, they can run the Epstein-Barr panel, but they also have to check the mono. You know, it's like a positive mono or not. And it's helpful to know that because if if your child or yourself does have active mono, you, you don't want to be doing anything that could potentially be harmful to the spleen. If your spleen's enlarged, so usually it's all kinds of rest, like no sports, nothing where you could have any sort of injury to the body because it can be damaging. Well, okay. Next thing we're going to chat about is, so let's say you find out that you do have Epstein-Barr in an active state. What do you do about that? Well, there are some schools of thought. Western medicine's like, oh, everybody gets this. It reactivates. It's not a big deal. It'll just kind of let it do its thing. Yes, you could just rest. And if, if your immune system is strong enough, it will eventually you know, start to come back into a place and put the put that virus in its place. But this is really dependent on what else is going on in your body. So if there's a lot of other viral load in your system, this might not, it might take two years for your body to get over. So there are some things you can do to get your immune system back up here and get that virus back down here so it's not causing you problems. So it's not wreaking havoc on your hormones. So it's not, you know, Epstein-Barr, when I'm looking at someone with adrenal fatigue, Epstein-Barr is a major, major internal stressor. So, and I I talk sometimes about this, there's like two categories in my mind when it comes to stressors. There's external stressors, which are things going outside of your life. So job, relationship, pandemic, news, anything that's going on in your external life, kids, traffic, whatever. There also are internal stressors and your internal stressors are nutrient deficiencies, infections, diet that's coming into the mouth. So anything that's happening inside the body. And usually those are things that we can have a very direct impact on, right? So Epstein-Barr virus is going to use a lot of your body's energy. So it can be a really big drain on your adrenals. And again, it can also be a really big drain on your sex hormones. It can be a really big drain on your digestive tract. It's really, really not so great for the thyroid. The Epstein-Barr virus loves to take up residence in the thyroid. And sometimes as the immune system is creating antibodies to try to kill the Epstein-Barr virus, it can get a little bit mistaken and it can start to make antibodies against the thyroid. So it's really common to see people with Hashimoto's who also have really high Epstein-Barr numbers. So really high nuclear antigen, really high viral capsid antigen, and maybe really high early antigen to Epstein-Barr. And I find that when we start to treat the Epstein-Barr virus, we see thyroid antibodies start to go down. Now, that's not always the case, but if if the Epstein-Barr is what's triggering the production of the thyroid antibodies, treating that will definitely help lower the thyroid. There are a lot of causes for thyroid antibodies. Again, another, another topic for another day, but 
it can definitely want to be one of the big contributors. So it's just another reason why it's really important to treat Epstein-Barr. So I've talked about why the reason it's important to treat. Let's talk about what the treatment looks like. So I'm a really big fan of using herbal remedies for Epstein-Barr. I really like olive leaf. I like cat's claw and I like mushrooms. So medicinal mushrooms are really, really beneficial, particularly because of the way that they boost your white blood cell production. So a mushroom blend will help increase your CD57 lymphocytes, those T cells that I was talking about. They'll just boost your immune system overall. They also have antiviral properties. So they're going to help lower the amount of viral load. So you can take a mushroom complex, but you have to take pretty high doses of them. I also really like zinc for treating Epstein-Barr, but my typical Epstein-Barr treatments look something like, you know, a, a pretty intense dose of cat's claw, a pretty intense dose of olive leaf, this is not medical advice. Just want to say, definitely talk to your doctor before you do anything. But um, some of the things that I like to use, I use a couple of, uh, you know, immune boosting blends that contain zinc, that contain mushrooms, that contain different herbs that are specific for boosting immune function. There's a lot of different intricacies for treating Epstein-Barr. So some sort of herbal remedy can be really, really helpful. The other thing that's really, really important is you have to make sure you're getting enough rest. So if you find out that you have Epstein-Barr that's in a reactivated state, you've got to, got to, got to make sure you're not overdoing it in your life, particularly with exercise. So, you know, when I diagnose people with an active case of Epstein-Barr and they're telling me that they're doing cardio for an hour a day, I'm like, mm, we got to, we got to take a rest on that. That's going to burn out your immune system. It's going to burn out your adrenals. And we need to have some adrenal support. So I typically, a lot of my Epstein-Barr protocols also include some form of adrenal support. So we keep your adrenals in a good place because just finding the Epstein-Barr is going to drain your adrenals. We also need your adrenals active in order to tell the immune system to fight the Epstein-Barr virus. So super important to have some sort of adrenal support, whether that's a lifestyle thing you've got going on by putting adequate rest into place or some sort of supplement protocol. Diet-wise, there are, I really love Medical Medium. He's got some great stuff. If you haven't listened to him, he talks a lot about Epstein-Barr virus. Anthony Williams is his name in his first book's Medical Medium and all the fruits and veggies, all the fruits and veggies. There are some, he's got some things not to eat, like not to eat eggs. I'm 50-50 on that. I think it depends on the person. I, you know, If you've got an egg allergy, if you've got a gluten allergy, if you've got a dairy allergy, you definitely 100% need to cut those out when you're treating Epstein-Barr. I don't necessarily think everyone needs to cut those out. It depends on what is you know going on in your case, but making sure you're on the right anti-inflammatory diet for you and making sure your body's getting enough nutrients is really important. So we can't be under eating and we can't be over exercising that will not, you've got to be fueling your body for what it needs. And in the time of fighting a battle against a virus like Epstein-Barr, you're going to have a high a high nutrient need and a high calorie need too. So it's really important to making sure you're giving your body enough of the things it needs in order to fight that off. So that's that. Getting plenty of rest. I talked a little bit about some of the supplements I like and celery juice is a really big one in medical medium. Anthony Williams talks about that a lot. He's really big on celery juice. So it can be a really great practice. A lot of my patients that have Epstein-Barr will drink celery juice first thing in the morning. It's really cleansing and it. It's got some properties that, that Epstein-Barr doesn't like. The other really important thing to just that I need to touch on since we're talking about this is its body temperature and how it relates to thyroid and relates to relates to infections. So our body temperature is supposed to be 98.6, right? That is the temperature at which our basal metabolic rate is going to work in its best capacity. It's also the temperature that most viruses and most bacteria can't survive in. 
if your body temperature runs a little bit low, and I'm talking like if you're always taking your temperature and it's maybe 97.6 or maybe it's 97.1, that's too low. Your body temperature should be running at 98.6. If you're running around 97, you have become a much nicer host for viruses like Epstein-Barr, like herpes zoster shingles, like herpes 1 and herpes 2, to survive more, to reactivate more. So it's really important to make sure your body temperature stays at that 98.6 set point. Now, the thing that governs this is your thyroid. So your thyroid is what controls your basal metabolic rate. So if your thyroid is not quite working properly, like if it's a little bit under where it should be, and adrenals also come into play a little bit with this, but thyroid tends to be the master controller of basal metabolic rate. So really important, you know, if you're if you're struggling to treat this and it's not getting better, I would recommend just doing this off the bat. Make sure you've had a full thyroid panel run so we know what your thyroid is doing because oftentimes my Epstein-Barr virus protocols include treating the thyroid because I find I'm like, yep, your Epstein-Barr is active. You also have, you know, your T3 and T4 are a little bit too low. We got to boost those up because it's going to be really hard for these herbs to come in and kill this virus if we aren't also boosting your thyroid and making sure that your your body temperature is where it should be. So that's a little bit about Epstein-Barr treatment. If you're someone who has tried all the natural stuff and done all the things and it's still not working, the uh, there is a medication that you can take. It's the drug that that you take for herpes 1 and herpes 2, valcyclovir or acyclovir. They have action against all of the herpes family viruses. So that's something you can take. I have patients who take that in combination with an herbal protocol. So that's something that can work, you know, because sometimes this virus for certain people, their immune system really struggles with it. So I have a few patients that are constantly in a reactivated Epstein-Barr state. And, I, you know, I don't, I'm not quite sure what it is. You know, I think there's definitely a multitude of factors going on, but some bodies struggle with this viral type more than others. And so if, if that's, if that's you and you're listening, you're like, wow, I've struggled with this, you know, sometimes adding in the valcyclovir or acyclovir can, can really be helpful. The other thing that I'm a really big fan of is I, you know, I've had Epstein-Barr reactivate a couple of times in my adult life, you know, when stress levels have gotten really high, I'm a really big fan of high dose vitamin C in an IV type of way. So getting between 25 and 50 grams of high C once a week for six to eight weeks can, well, it will knock anything out of your system that shouldn't be living there. So that can be really helpful for Epstein-Barr as well. If you're not responding to some of the oral over-the-counter supplements and if, so, and you could do a combo of all of the things, you know, sometimes people come in and they're like, I want to get rid of this as quickly as possible. What can I do? And I'm like, okay, well, you could take these orally. You could do the IV vitamin C. You can add in the valcyclovir or the acyclovir. So there's a bunch of different things that you can do to kind of get your immune system back on top and get that viral load back into a place where the virus isn't causing a problem. So I hope this was helpful for you guys. Like I said, this is a, it's, I, I literally had this conversation almost every day in practice because it's something I see a lot of. And I do see that once you get this virus in control, it's so much easier for the body to grow your hair, to have more energy, to sleep better, to balance hormones, to, you know, have better skin, have, lose weight. There's again, if the body's focused on killing something, it's not going to have extra energy to do all those other things that I just talked about. So if we can help the body out with killing that off and getting rid of it, then your body's going to do what you want it to do so much faster and so much easier. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. Great to have you. And I will see you next week. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Dr. Kinney Show. Be sure to follow the show and leave a rating and a review. It supports me so much. Plus, I always love hearing from you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll talk to you next week.